0: Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. It's so great to be with all of you today. For those of you joining us for the first time, Welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your content. And please be sure to follow us on social media at Breast Cancer Conversations. For those of you who tune in each week, it's great to have you back. I feel compelled to provide you with as much information, support, and resources as I can through our show, interviews, and my own personal experience with breast cancer. The interviews and connecting with all of you, our listeners, and audience is the fun part. But there is a lot of sweat and joy that come from the relentless hours of post-production and editing that we do each week to bring our podcast to life. My heart and soul could not be more passionate and committed each week to delivering inspiration, hope, and support. That's why I've decided to make the decision to partner with Podigy to help with the back end of editing. If you have a podcast or are thinking about starting one, I highly recommend them. They are super easy to work with, they provide great advice and customer support, and they offer our listeners 25% off your first month when you mention our podcast, Breast Cancer Conversations. We know cancer takes a village, and I'm glad to have Prodigy part of our support team. Hi, everyone. I am so excited for today's conversation. We are speaking with Kathy Lehman, founder and owner of Damn Mad About Breast Cancer. Damn Mad About Breast Cancer provides nutrition, fitness, and wellness information and resources for women newly diagnosed in post-treatment, and survivorship or living with metastatic breast cancer. Damn Mad About Breast Cancer guides women in adopting realistic, practical, and sustainable lifestyle habits to evaluate health, optimize healing, and potentially reduce the risk of reoccurrence. Kathy Lehman is a registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, NSCA certified personal trainer, and breast cancer survivor. Welcome to the conversation.
1: I'm Kathy Lehman and I am in the western suburbs of Chicago. And I've been here for longer than where I grew up. I grew up in central Illinois. So Chicago is my adopted hometown, and um, I love living here. Not in the winter, but you know, I love living here. (laughs) There's good energy. And um, I'm a dietitian, I'm a personal trainer. My graduate degree is in health psychology, and I'm also a nutrition therapist. And so I've worked from those three disciplines of nutrition and fitness and health psychology behavior change for my entire career, although I started out as a dietitian and worked for about 10 years as a dietitian and trainer before I went to graduate school. So um, I recognized in my practice, I started a private practice out of school, and I, this is a second career for me. And I became a personal trainer so that I could help my clients, who were primarily women, have both sides of the coin, which I call it, you know, nutrition and fitness. I feel like we need both to get that holistic approach to being healthy, mind, body, spirit. But I also recognize that the whole psychology of eating and challenges with food and body image and behaviors around food that have nothing to do with hunger was really a driver for a lot of the weight challenges that my clients were struggling with, and the, how they would hold themselves back, back from working out. So I, that's where I went after the health psych degree, and it really just helps. I'm not a psychologist, but it really helps me in my work, just like look, take a broad picture at just why sometimes people struggle with healthy lifestyle behaviors. We say that we all want, yet we just keep throwing up roadblocks in the way and preventing them. So that's what I've done in my career. Um, for 23 years, but my diagnosis in 2014 put me on a different trajectory. At that time, I was running a private personal training studio, my nutrition practice, and doing worksite wellness in the Chicago area and beyond. And I continued to do that for a few years, and then, but I recognized I really wanted to use my professional expertise, blend it with my personal experience of breast cancer to help the breast cancer community, and that's where I'm still turning the ship in that direction. But you know clarity comes from actually getting out there and doing things and being in the community and so I'm really excited about where things are going in 2020. So that's a little, that's the short version.
0: Yeah, no that's amazing. I feel like once you get diagnosed with breast cancer I talk to so many women where it's a turning point or a pivot for a variety of reasons. Um you know similar like if you get married or have children or have this like big life event happen to you, it really puts in perspective you know, life is short and, you know, there's really, it helps us prioritize, I think, right. And figure out how we can give back and utilize, you know, in your case, like your education and experience with health, nutrition, psychology, wellness, and now adapt that to your own personal experience, having gone through a breast cancer diagnosis. So I'm super excited to like dive right in. I feel like a lot of us, when we've been diagnosed with breast cancer kind of struggle with the health side, the the diet, the nutrition, even the exercise, because you're going through treatment and you're feeling fatigued, you're feeling tired. um, And these are all natural side effects of what we're going through. There's also the mental capacity of a cancer diagnosis hitting you and that taking a toll. And at least in my personal experience, made me even more exhausted, just kind of dealing with the stress of losing my hair going through chemotherapy. I was also given a variety of steroids to be on. And that allowed me to, I say like, it allowed me to gain weight. It it caused me to gain weight. And I had this like uncontrollable hunger also while I was going through some of my treatments, which I think is a misnomer when people hear that you have breast cancer or just any cancer and you're going to go through chemotherapy. I think we all kind of picture the losing weight, not having a big diet, um, And kind of like the frail cancer patient type of image in our heads. And I'm noticing at least with hormonally driven ER positive or progesterone positive breast cancer that people are on hormonal therapies, hormones become imbalanced, you're on a very strong treatment regimen, it could potentially cause you to gain weight You're potentially thrown into medical menopause or going through menopause, and then your body is changing. So we're dealing with a whole bunch of external factors that have wreaked havoc on our body. And I struggle with it um, post my own diagnosis. And I talk to a lot of women, and you know, it's kind of how do we navigate this? I think the psychology is a really important point too. Where cancer aside, you know, like we're stress eaters or nervous eaters. Are we really hungry? We know we should not be eating like the Doritos and chips and salsa and choose like the veggies and hummus and all this great stuff. So I'm just excited to have this conversation with you, having someone to relate to, not just about diet and nutrition, but who has been there through a breast cancer diagnosis and can understand some of those struggles as well.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh, Laura, we have, we could talk for days about this. (laughs) You just brought up so many, you hit so many points that, well, we should just jump in, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, Uh, That's what I love about these conversations. I mean, it's really just like free flowing and educational and it gives both of us opportunities to share what we've gone through with breast cancer, the treatments that we were on and kind of the new life. I'm not sure if I've mentioned to you previously in our conversations, you may have known this, but I was a vegan prior to breast cancer. And prior to being a vegan, I was a vegetarian since I was 16 years old. So like health, nutrition, cutting out meats and dairy and different products were just part of my lifestyle. I was a runner, an active yogi. I was like, I was happy. Things were going great. And at the age of 34, I got diagnosed with breast cancer that ended up just being a sporadic diagnosis. There was no family history. And I was viscerally angry because I was like, I'm I'm healthy. I eat the organic. I spent all this money at Whole Foods to eat these like great organic products what happened? Um, How did I get breast cancer? And after getting, I guess, getting over it um, and accepting that I had this diagnosis, I actually kind of went to the other end of if I was this healthy before, why even try? And I think that's like a natural grieving process or part of that acceptance process. And now being three years post-diagnosis, I'm now trying to like rein things back in knowing that my body is not what it used to be. And I'm on letrozole and a lupron shot that has definitely wrecked havoc with my life post-cancer life and and all of these things. So I'm personally like trying to figure out what that diet and nutrition and exercise regimen looks like, knowing that there's limitations post-surgery. I'm not as strong, can't do push-ups anymore. Like, you know, this it's crazy. So I'm gonna stop talking there. I'm not sure if like you just want to dive in and what, what concerns do you see or what um challenges do you see when you're working with your clients and patients about like struggling and kind of getting on track? Where does someone even begin?
1: Thank you for all of that. Cause that's all just such good runway for me to, I could launch a million planes just on those. Oh, absolutely. So let me just back up a little bit. So my diagnosis like yours was hormonally driven. Um, so no, di- no family history, 100% healthy with a capital healthy. I mean, ate a vegan diet. But I had transitioned from a pescatarian diet where I ate fish and um, eggs. You know, I don't love eggs. So if they were in something, I would eat them and dairy, you know, yogurt and such. But that type of, that's not a vegetarian diet, but it's a pescatarian diet and transition. So we balanced kind of that with a vegan diet. We just ate not like, we're only going to have vegetarian today and tomorrow. That's not how we operate at my house. It was just more like what I was preparing. And I happened to love a lot of vegan dishes. And I was rereading some some books from graduate school about vegan, more plant-based diets. And at the time, my father-in-law had been diagnosed with cancer. And one of my dearest friends had been diagnosed with breast cancer. So he was diagnosed with bladder cancer and she had breast. And so I was just thinking, you know, we do, my husband and I are both very fit. I'm a runner. I own a private personal training studio. As I mentioned, that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to be healthy. Plenty of people can own a fitness studio and not be You know, not walk the talk, but this has just been my personal philosophy since high school. I've been active and interested in health and fitness. Doesn't mean, and this is speaks to one of your points. We think about what we've been doing in the last year or two or five or ten prior to our diagnosis. We don't know how far back the seeds were planted for our diagnosis, but the research is fascinating in looking at utero, in utero conditions how that predisposes some women potentially for breast cancer as they, you know, as they become women. Puberty, you know, a lot of, you know, girls are developing earlier now. And, you know, are we being exposed to certain things during puberty that in the environment are triggering to setting up again that environment for developing breast cancer later on? There's some really interesting research happening in that area. So I like to remind women to just pull back and look with broader lens, especially when they say, I only eat organic and I only eat vegan. Not, that, I'm not saying only you, but I hear this a yes, lot. Yes. And I've done this work as a nutrition therapist long enough that I know when people say, when women say, I only eat vegan, I only eat organic. I say, well, do you ever eat out? Well, yeah. Do you ever travel? Well, yeah. Do you only eat organic and vegan when you travel? Probably not because, so every bite we put in our mouths." It's not what we think it is. Right. We tend to overestimate how healthily we eat and how active we are. When in reality, if I followed you or anyone else around and said, what is that you're eating? Well, are you working out today? No, you didn't work out yesterday. Okay, that's fine. But those are two days you weren't active. And we tend, so that's not a criticism. It's just an observation that I like to share with women so they can stay grounded in reality. We didn't cause our breast cancer. There's something broken that there is such a tsunami of breast cancer diagnoses in, in globally. And speaking to your how angry you were, that is why my blog and the platform that I work from is called Damn Mad About Breast Cancer, is because I was furious. And I had just run the Chicago Half Marathon seven weeks before my diagnosis. I had just been hiking in Breckenridge, Colorado, like mega. Day-long hikes that were grueling, and then I was still training for my upcoming half marathon. I was super fit, super healthy. Now I also drank alcohol. I don't have any children. Um, I live in an urban area that you know there is there are environmental factors. I know the county that I live in. Uh, even well before my diagnosis, I would observe and say out loud, "There's a lot of cancer in this community." So the point of sharing all that is I really encourage women when they're looking at their lifestyle and saying, it didn't matter. You know what? You can't say that it didn't matter that you ate a vegan diet and that you were active before your diagnosis, because I don't have any proof that me being super fit and super well-nourished and super healthy when I was diagnosed, I don't have the proof that that helped me. But I, I certainly had good pathology. I certainly had really good outcomes. And I was just Part of that is luck. You know, let's not discount that and timing and all of those things. But the way you take care of yourself, it does impact your outcome on some level. And so my message when I started Damn Mad is, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do with how I could help this community. I didn't, I'm not an oncology dietitian. I'm a lifestyle dietitian. So I just started blogging to that community using my experience as a professional with what I had seen in women before, you know, my healthy population and speaking that same information to the breast cancer community, getting out there on social media and just kind of started sticking my toe in the water and taking the pulse of who who are influencers and who are educators and who are scientists and researchers in the breast cancer world. And that's how I've started to, that's how I've connected with you. And that's how I've started to become more entrenched in this community. But I see over and over, I've joined private Facebook groups for for breast cancer, and then I have women reach out to me in response to my blog and when I do presentations, and they will say similar things. And I say, come on, let's look at this. You know, first of all, step back pre-diagnosis. If you were a stress eater and an emotional eater, and you didn't exercise, and you really didn't pay that much attention to what you ate or drank, and then you're diagnosed, you are not going to do a complete turnaround and kiss all that goodbye. And maybe, well, some people do. Some people get the religion of, you know, oh my God, I've been diagnosed, I'll change everything. That's rare. And if people do that, it's hard to maintain that long term. Right. You know, once you get through your treatment and that heightened uh, fight or flight thing starts to calm down, you're like, okay, I got through treatment. Now maybe I'll let myself eat a cupcake. And then, you know, it's you start to loosen the grip on that, which, so either way, both of those are too restrictive. If you are all or nothing about, I will only eat. You know, XYZ and I won't touch this, or I'll eat everything that's not nailed down and legal, I don't care. Those are two, the two opposite extremes. ends yeah. of the spectrum that we really need to bring it back and find that gray area.
0: Does that make that make sense? Yeah. And I, I love the the framework that we're laying down right now is like the reality, being honest with ourselves, not judgmental, but grounded in the situation. It's kind of funny because I've oscillated now between being a vegan, going through breast cancer. I now incorporate fish into my diet as well as like yogurt and dairy. And I've actually thrown out like labels. Like I don't want to be plant-based. I don't want to be vegan. I don't want to be a pescatarian. Like I just want to eat healthy and whatever that looks like. Um, that was like my 2020 resolution is like redefining what healthy looks like for me.
1: Mm -hmm. No, that's a great approach. And I, what I find, and so I, you know, I, kind, I kind of straddle the line of pre-breast cancer in the work that I did and post-breast cancer in the work that I'm doing now. And the common thread is that women want to be told what to do. Just tell me what to eat to make me lose weight, to make me feel better about myself, to make me have energy, to make my skin healthier. Whatever their goal is, they just want to be told what to do. Now, If I were helping them start a business and I said, here's your marketing plan, let's start with this, that works. When it comes to lifestyle behaviors, nutrition, and diet, which are two different things, by the way, um, and we can talk about that, but nutrition, diet, food, fitness, exercise, wellness, well-being, self-care, stress management, all those things, we have, I mean, as a professional, I have recommendations, professional recommendations and guidelines that the research supports. My job, as I've always seen it, is to take those recommendations and guidelines and work with someone individually to help them form them into a way that supports their real life. Right? I mean, what's the use of having nutrition guidelines for breast cancer if you can't implement them because they feel too restrictive or they feel too you have to be too perfect or you don't like to cook for a million different reasons? Right? So it's really taking that and massaging it so that it works for you. And so that's why there is no So that's one reason why there is no do this, and then you will lose the weight from your chemotherapy. Secondly, nutrition is a science. And I say this often, it's a science, it is not an opinion. Someone saying, I don't drink any plant-based milk with gums in the ingredient, because gums are bad. Well, that's their opinion. That is not science. Gums come from a variety, not that we need to talk about that, but using this as an example, some gums come are natural, right? And then they are um, approved called generally recognized as safe for use in the food supply. If you don't want those in your plant-based milk, don't buy plant-based milk with gums, but also do not be saying to your followers and online gums are bad because you don't, you can't back that up with science and evidence-based information. So me as a professional, I would say, okay, this is what, these are the types of gums. These are used in, here's where you'll find them. Here's what they do. Here's what they're made from. Make your own decision. What if you live some in some part of the country where you want to drink almond milk and you don't want to make your own, which is always an option. But if you don't want to do that, you want to buy it. And you can't get a brand that doesn't have gums in it, but you feel like that would help you because you have a dairy allergy, right? Or lactose intolerance.
0: Exactly. What are
1: you going to do? So you've got to, And so that's another piece of the puzzle. And the third piece is we don't have specific guidelines that say, if you do this, this will keep your breast cancer from occurring. If you eat that, that will prevent you from ever getting breast cancer in the first place. Because I always tell people, if I knew that, believe me, I would be the first to know and I would be telling everybody and I wouldn't be having this conversation with you because I would know that. The research for nutrition and diet is very long term. And you have to start with you at birth and feed you and record everything you've eaten and follow you until you're 34 years old and you had your diagnosis and say, well, could it have been the Doritos at that slumber party when you were 14? Maybe, maybe that. Let's look at the genetic level. Did it trip, you know, did it change the DNA of that cell? That's how intricate nutrition science is. And we just don't have that at this point. So what we do have are some really strong research that supports the healthiest way to eat um, in terms of overall health and how that fits with breast cancer. And so that's where I work with people is to just step back and say, look, there's no, there is no one way yet. And if we have it, I would, I would love to share it. And I am, I am confident and excited about in time, we will have precision nutrition recommendations and almost like prescription. Wow. So okay. if you think about uh, breast cancer as a metabolic disease, which it is, and there are many different types of breast cancer. So maybe someone who is triple negative and postmenopausal versus someone who is triple negative and pre-menopausal versus someone who is premenopausal and hormonally positive, maybe you need three different approaches to dietary protocol. That's that's exciting. I was gonna that's ask Nirvana. actually,
0: like how unique is are the recommendations for Health and nutrition. I'm not. Sure. It's almost like Mythbusters. Like in my mind, because I'm, I don't have this background. I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, what works for my body may not work for your body. I'm not sure if I'm just making that up or if I'm just believing in whatever it is that I want to self talk and tell myself is good for me. And then also to your point about evidence based nutrition, I do feel like there's a dearth of information and a whole bunch of opinions out there post breast cancer diagnosis of what we should be eating to feel like we have control and like control around not having a recurrence. And we want to be as healthy as possible. We want to feel like we are making a difference in addition to the chemotherapies. Like we're meeting the doctors halfway, right? Like you do your work in the oncology space and I'll do my work at home through exercise and nutrition and diet. Is there literature out there that supports specific foods or or percentages of, you know, fats and proteins and carbohydrates. Do you get into that with your clients and as part of your, your background
1: at all? Yeah. So, so currently I don't work one-on-one with clients at this point. I work more on a broad-based educational, um, kind of like educating the masses. Okay. (laughs) Um, but I have something exciting coming up we can talk about too, but, but so the way I do that is let me take, take your questions. When you say there is a dearth of information and a lot of opinions, that goes back to my point about there are a lot of opinions about nutrition. So the number one thing to look at is where are you getting your information as a breast cancer patient? And I find that very confusing for women who don't have a science background or a nutrition background. How would you know if something is credible or not? How you know You don't spend your days, nor were you trained to comb through research and say, well, what are these outcomes? Is this a legitimate study? You don't know that. I mean, and why should you? So it's, first of all, looking at the source. Is it a, is it a credible source that you're getting information from, or is it your best friend on Facebook who shared something that she's like, oh, this is what my friend said you should do for your breast cancer. Right. right. No, just don't do that. Whatever it is. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure you can just skip that. So look where the information is coming from. Secondly, Science is ongoing, even in the world of nutrition. What we know today could change six months, a year, five years from now. People who are not trained in science find that maddening and it pisses them off. Quite frankly, can I curse? Oh no. yeah, no, absolutely. And they, <laughs> okay, it pisses them off because they're like, well, you told me I wasn't supposed to eat soy. Right. Now you are telling me I can't eat soy? What is it? Mm-hmm. And they yell at me. I'm like, I am just the messenger. I'm just translating the information for you. But here's the thing, it's exciting to us in the field because new research means we're making progress in fine tuning how certain foods or food groups fit into this puzzle we're trying to solve. But I understand how it can be maddening to people because they're like, well, again, it's back to, well, just tell me what to do. But how do I know what to do if I keep reading five different things? Part of that is they get information from their oncologists. Our oncologists are not trained in nutrition. They're not supposed to be. They're doing their, you know, their role as oncologists. And then if you are fully at a facility where you have oncology dietitians, they do their role, but that's not always available. You know, not every, even where I had treatment, there was no dietitian on staff to do that. So that's another reason. And then your other question about, do we all, does food work the same way for each of us? I think is kind of what your question was. Yeah, right. Right now, what we look at is there's a really interesting... Dividing line between postmenopausal and premenopausal, mm-hmm. and looking at how recommendations are how do they translate from one to the other? Hormonally driven, in our bodies as women, hormones are impacted by so many things, and hormones are part of the whole. I mean, insulin is a hormone, and they're all part of the whole digestive system and the but- metabolic system. So that's critical to look at that. There's also, um, besides menopause, we're also looking at Look at different age groups. You know, where are you in terms of you know, younger women are less frequently diagnosed, but that's becoming more common. And so, you know, how does that, if you're childbearing age, how does your premenopausal, but are there certain things happening then hormonally that may impact your diet or nutrition met- metabolically that isn't for someone who's postmenopausal? And then again, between all the different types of breast cancer, that's critical. And then there's also between initial diagnosis and recurrence. So when I talk to people, I talk about, look, my goal is to, can we reduce the number instead of one in eight, which is an increase of breast cancer diagnosis from 30, 40 years ago, by the way, instead of one in eight, could we make it one in 80 or one in 800? What would that look like? And could we achieve that through lifestyle? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that because we don't have prevention 100% yet, but if we just took better care of ourselves on the whole, could we change that so that initial diagnoses reduce? And then looking at recurrence, what are some of the things that we can do to potentially reduce our risk of recurrence? Again, we don't have 100% answers. But you know, when I initially thought about doing this work in the breast cancer community, I, I'm really interested in something called prehab. Maybe you're familiar with that. It's called prehabilitation like rehab Mm. with a P in front of it. Okay. So at the moment you're diagnosed, how can you set up your body to be the environment that is really supportive of getting through and coming through treatment with good outcomes and less collateral damage? And there is an arm of um, research and information in the prehab space that I'm just crazy excited about. So I felt like at the time of diagnosis, this is where women are like, tell me what to do. What should I eat? Should I start exercising? Is what's going to make a difference? What's going to help me do my part? I love what you said. That's kind of like meeting halfway. Yes. It's like the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, It's lucky. However your luck is, it's like you meet the universe halfway, they'll do the rest. It's kind of the same way. So I love that you use that description. I use it a lot. With our treatment, you've got to do your part. And it empowers us, right? We feel empowered that we're taking charge of something, If whatever we can do in our lifestyle. So from the time of diagnosis and then when you're in treatment, And then when you're post-treatment, or then if you were living with metastatic breast cancer, I call that the breast cancer continuum. And throughout that entire continuum, your focus on your health and your well-being and what you need to do that, it changes. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I think there are different recommendations based on where you are in that continuum, the way they are... Presented. So if I were working, if I'm speaking to people, to women who've just been diagnosed, and you know how that is, you're in that freakout stage, you don't know what to do, you're not sure, like, and you don't have the bandwidth to figure it out. You're Googling, you're online looking, you want to learn about your diagnosis and the whole cancer. And then there's this whole other piece, which is lifestyle. And so that's where I take the reins for women. And I say, look, come to me. This is where I do the education and share the information and the inspiration to put it into practice and know that you can trust it because you're trying to figure out, well, is this credible? I just read this and this conflicts that. I'm looking here. I'm looking there. It's frustrating. It's overwhelming. And all you want to do is take care of yourself. So getting women started at that initial diagnosis with a good foundation. And then when you're in treatment, hopefully you're working with an oncology dietitian who can manage the nausea and constipation and diarrhea, all those pieces But on the days that you're feeling good, then you can step back and look at what I present, which is, okay, but you're still taking care of your lifestyle here. When you feel good, you're more likely to be able to eat better and get a little activity, which supports you on the days when you're feeling crappy and you just want to eat saltines. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the treatment. That's that not all or nothing black and white thinking. And then when you move into survivorship, although, you know, there's a definition of the minute you're diagnosed, you're considered a survivor. And that's, that's what I one goal absolutely. From the, mm-hmm. Right? From the moment of diagnosis, survival is our, that's our goal. So, but when you move into post-treatment survivorship, exactly, what I call it, mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, now what do I do? How do I continue on and live a life that is robust and resilient using lifestyle behaviors that can support me? Because at that point, you've got to look at cardiovascular health diabetes, hypertension, all those, being those chronic diseases that come with aging that if we don't pay attention can sneak up on us. So that's when I recommend women take a broad view and say, look, if you are eating for breast health, you're eating for your best health overall. And that's really the goal. We're at a higher risk for cardiovascular disease as breast cancer survivors as a result of treatment. And then maybe you're in post-treatment survivorship, but you're taking a UR medication I took aromatase inhibitors for five years. I took exemestane. I just finished a month ago.
0: Congratulations! Yes. That's a big deal.
1: <laughs> Is a huge deal. Huge deal. Yes. Congratulations! You're still. Yeah. It's kind of like you're still in treatment when you're taking the medication, so you don't feel like you've completely finished until you take that last pill. At least mm-hmm. for me, and so that brings within its own compilation of challenges, right? Sure. And then, like I said, if you're living with metastatic breast cancer, that's a whole other part of that continuum. You're in treatment for life, but you that doesn't mean you can't be living a resilient life You know, with behaviors that you bring in. So that was kind of a long answer to no. your question, but it had so many pieces that I felt like I needed to touch on to give a bigger picture.
0: Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I love the the concept of the continuum. I think that's something we can hold on to and be caring of ourselves as we're navigating these various phases and stages of the breast cancer space. So I love yeah. that.
1: You mentioned that's exactly what it is. It's that breast cancer experience. What we have stages that we're diagnosed at, but what stage are you in? That I don't like the word journey, so I don't use that. But um, in that experience, where are you along that continuum of experience? I mean,
0: yeah. Oh, you'll have to meet um, next time I'm in Chicago. We'll have to do a get together. Another one of our, our friends in the Chicago area, she wrote on our blog not too long ago that, please don't call it a journey. I'll have to share the link with you. She's like, a journey was when I drove across country. Like my diagnosis <laughs> is not a journey. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> and not a journey. It's not a fight. It's not a pink sisterhood, but that's all my, those are my opinions. We
0: don't, we don't oh, of course. Talk yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah.
0: Yeah no yeah. everyone I always ask you like what's the language you're most comfortable with like don't be offended if I use one term and it's not yeah you know it's, it's too easy we have much bigger things to be worried about we <laughs> do we do I want to yeah. go back to your um, comment that you made earlier about the difference between nutrition and diet so oh. I would like what how do we define it what does that mean I think I know I personally use them almost interchangeably please enlighten me
1: <laughs> yeah sure so nutrition this is the science. This is how your body uses, metabolizes, digests food. It uses, there are phases of nutrition. There is the digestion. There is assimilation where your body is using the nutrients to rebuild. There is elimination, you know, when your body is excreting everything you've eaten the day before. And there is, you know, the because what, what nutrition is, is you are taking in food and then essentially it's how your those are building blocks. So every food that you put into your body is made up of proteins or fats or carbohydrate or alcohol, which is you know it's not a nutrient that gives nutrient value, but all of those are building blocks. And your body, you know, some food is a combination of those. Something is maybe more carbohydrate, small amount of fat, something maybe all carbohydrate, no protein. Regardless, your body has to take that, those building blocks, break down. The building blocks, and then reuse them to give you energy, and to support your immune system, and your brain function, and to keep your heart rate steady, and your blood pressure steady, and help you eliminate properly for digestion, and feed your gut so that you have healthy gut microbiota. That's the nutrition side of it, and that's the science and how that works at the cellular level. Mm -hmm. And that's where the science of breast cancer nutrition is so fascinating to me as a dietitian. Is that's where we learn how nutrition works. Like when you eat, um, let's say red grapes. Okay. It's a fruit. It is carbohydrate, but it's natural sugar. It's not added man-made manufactured sugar. It's natural occurring sugar. It's supposed to be, (laughs) that's not a bad thing, but also packaged with that is fiber. And there are different types of fiber. There's resistant starch in some foods. There is fiber that adds the bulk in the stool. There's fiber that is more gummy and it helps pull, you know, connects to like cholesterol, pulls cholesterol in the body. So there's fiber and there are different types of that and how it works. There are antioxidants, there are phytochemicals. So the synergy of everything that's in that one red grape and what, how that works in your body at the cellular level, what do those antioxidants do to the cell? Does it support it? Does it give it health? Does it support a healthy environment, or is it damaging at the cellular level? That's nutrition. That's nutrition science. And so you can see how complicated that is to tease out. If you eat red grapes and I eat red grapes, pretty much the same thing is going to happen, right? But does your body have a reaction to resveratrol, which is a polyphenol in red grapes that my body does not? I don't know. Maybe my metabolic pathway doesn't work optimally when I'm trying to use that resveratrol, but yours does. So you can see how that's such fine-tuning minutiae, and that's what we don't have yet. But that's nutrition. And then diet is what you eat. You, know, you said you ate a vegetarian diet, mm-hmm. and then you ate a diet where you didn't care what you ate. And now you're trying to find your way back. <laughs> exactly. And I said, I ate a vegan diet. I still do. So you know, someone is a meat-loving diet. Those are types of diets, or they can be diets that are prescriptive, like we as dietitians do. We can say, you know what, you need a low sodium diet because your doctor has recommended that you reduce sodium based on your medication for your hypertension. It's a medication that is very sensitive to sodium and potassium, and so as dietitians clinically, we can say, here's what you need, here's what a low sodium diet looks like, here's how to implement it, and here's how to to make that work, right. you know, on a daily basis. So it can, it's more. Um, I guess you could say medically based. It's to help you manage. Med- you can also have prescriptive diets to help you manage a medical condition, or it's just the diet that you eat and the food that you
0: eat. That's a great, great way to think about it. As I'm just taking what you were saying and putting it all together, is it accurate to assume like this with the science of the nutrition, then is can help inform then what your diet looks like? Oh,
1: that's a, that's a really smart question. <laughs> yes. Okay. 100%. This is where I feel like women in the breast cancer community can use the nutrition science that I share with them in a non-sciencey way to inform what they choose to put into their bodies. You mentioned Doritos. So let's go back to Doritos. I'm not picking on the Dorito people. So don't everybody know no, no, about that, but it's a great example. Okay. I mean, it, everyone knows this is no secret. Doritos are not food. They're not health food. They are chemically manufactured from the color to The ingredients, maybe there's corn in there, I don't know. <laughs> but it's all manufactured food. And if you choose to eat Doritos, great, this is America, you have that choice. You know, you can eat whenever you want, you can treat your body however you want. But if you think, hmm, I don't know if Doritos are what I actually want to put into my body, because now that Kathy talked about nutrition and how those ingredients work in my body. I want optimal output. Maybe I should be thinking about optimal input. Yes. And that's really the baseline is rather than judging Doritos as bad, maybe judge them as there's no nutrition there for me to do anything with. There are no building blocks. I mean, your body will take it in. For sure. But what can it do with that? Right. It could be damaging. If you think about it, artificial colors, artificial flavors, lots of um, fake Synthetic fats perhaps used in, I don't know, I haven't looked at the label. Right, right. But I mean, they're junk food. Let's just be honest. It's a junk food. Mm -hmm. It's a fun food. It doesn't mean you should never eat it. If you enjoy them, eat them. But should you eat them every day, all day? Everyone knows, no. Mm -hmm. But then we feel guilty if we eat Doritos because we think, oh my God, they're not good for me. I shouldn't be eating them. So let that go. Look at it as the pattern of your diet overall really determines how healthful and helpful your diet is to your overall well-being. If you live on Doritos, you're going to get a Dorito output, which is not optimal. If you put quality food in your body 90% of the time and 10% something junkier, the balance, Mm -hmm. it doesn't stand to reason that that's really going to have like, oh my God, it's going to make my cancer come back because I had a bag of Doritos. Exactly. And again, I'm being dramatic, but I've heard women say that. You know, there was a headline last fall about, cheese needs a warning label because it causes breast cancer recurrence. You might've seen it. Made me a little crazy. So I'm blogging like crazy about that. And I am on my Facebook groups telling women, I saw a woman say, I grew up in Wisconsin. So obviously that's what caused me breast cancer. Mm. No, it is not. We don't, you can't make that leap. Right. You can see it get a little crazy about this topic because this is information that's out there that scares the crap out of the breast cancer community. And I work really hard to turn that around, to give them yeah. a framework, to mm-hmm. take
0: that information. In. Right. And same thing with like sugar too, right? Those are like major headlines that sugar causes cancer. And I think when you take like the sugar piece and to your point, what does that actually do in your body? And depending on the type of cancer you have, the receptors of like what what other hormones are triggering in there from when you were 14 years old, when you had the cupcakes and the you know sleepover parties, but it's not, In my opinion, I'm going to use my opinion. You can definitely correct me, but it's not like you take the sugar and now you have breast cancer. There's like this whole path of how the sugar is impacting with your, your digestive system, your cells and all of that. So it's kind of these sweeping statements. I completely agree that we need to, okay, we're alarmed, but now let's go back to the science, go back to the research and see like, okay, what does this actually mean?
1: Yeah. So you, you make a really good point because, so let's stay on the sugar topic for a second. If we use that logic that sugar causes cancer, that means if we make that leap, that every person who works in a bakery has cancer. Because if you work in a bakery, if you own a bakery, if you founded a bakery, if you work in a bakery or a candy shop, you're sampling, you're eating the product. You're either eating it as you develop it, you're eating it as you create new offerings for your customers, you're sampling it as you, right? You probably eat sugar, added sugar is what we're talking about. Added sugar, not natural. You probably eat added sugar on a daily basis. Does everyone who owns a bakery have cancer? No, absolutely not. It's just like everyone who smokes. Do they get lung cancer? No. So the broad sweeping statements about nutrition make my head explode. And sugar, soy, organic, those are probably the three that are There are more, but those are probably the three that are on the edge of most people's consciousness, right? And sugar does not, as of now, in the research, we don't have anything that definitively says added sugar causes breast cancer. It is connected. It is, the the data is inconsistent and it's not definitive. It's, they're looking at those pathways, uh, you know, along that pathway is something altered in a pathway that could impact. The creation of cancer or the development, not creation, the development of cancer. And also, you know, is there a quantity, you know, is it, is there a certain amount of sugar, of added sugar? Is there a frequency of added sugar? You know, so there's no cause and effect. There is a connection. We just don't have the distinctive answer yet. And to your point also about, well, let me just say this. In America, we are overfed and undernourished. Mm. Yes, Does that makes sense?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes, 100%. All you need to do is go back and look at movies filmed in the 70s, <laughs> sitcoms, movies, Soul Train. Look at Soul Train in the <laughs> 70s. If you even know what that is, I don't even know if you know what that is. And just the obesity rates now compared to then, just visually with your own eyeballs, you can see it. It's staggering. So I'm not saying that as a criticism, I'm saying that as an observation of where. Our nation has gone, and obesity is a crisis around the world, particularly here in this country. And so, if you're overfed and undernourished, you know you're likely. You know our portions are larger. Junk food is very, very cheap, and it is very, very available. And just think about. I I really, again, I'm kind of like a broken record, but I try to say it in a number of different ways, so it makes makes an impression. Is if before breast cancer, you were someone who kind of lived on food for convenience rather than quality, and again, I, I don't know everyone's situation. Sometimes people have to rely on takeout and drive-through. I get it. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying we can become over-reliant on that because it's easy. You know, our world right now is created to make things very easy for us. Not so much now with the pandemic. Now we're back to normal. Like, oh, I have to cook. Oh my God, where are my pans? Where are my, <laughs> where are my spices, right? I can't drive through. Well, you can still drive through, but anyway,
0: you get my point. Oh, yes, absolutely. I I love going out to dinners. It's what my boyfriend and I do, and it's like a social time for us, right? And then you realize how, to your point, like, I want to eat healthy, but then how many times am I eating out? How much sodium am I consuming because I'm going to restaurants? In an odd way, like COVID's kind of been a blessing because we have been cooking at home Whole Foods, like eight weeks in a row, we are going on daily walks because now, because of COVID, we are we have to get out of the house. We have to take walks. We're hitting our step goals, like and exceeding our step goals, and it's been kind of a fascinating um, observation of our lifestyle when we're not distracted by the convenience of everything else in our society. If that makes sense. Oh my.
1: Okay. <laughs> Can we just talk about this for a second? Absolutely. So how do you feel physically having had eight weeks of what you just described versus before? Have you noticed anything? And if so, what is it?
0: No, absolutely. Great question. Um, I feel like I go through ebbs and flows. I definitely, I would say on the emotional side, COVID has been hard, right? There's, There's times where I'm like, we're cooking three meals at home a day. I am using the dishwasher like all the time. I am it's been different. I, I didn't realize. Okay. And
1: what's bad about that? I'm using the word bad, but what is so what's challenging about that for you? I'm curious. What is hard about not bad? What's hard about that?
0: Well, I can tell you, like, I miss looking through menus, right? I miss someone bringing food to me. It's time consuming. You have to figure out what you have in your kitchen. Right now we're ordering through like Peapod and Amazon through Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. And I don't always have the products I would like for my veggie stir fry or the seasonings that I would like. So I, you know, I just got Kalamata olives the other day and I'm like, Oh my God, this is such a luxury (laughs) or like the avocado that arrived. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, we're definitely eating simpler, but we need to, what's been challenging is, okay, what's the combinations of foods? What are we having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? What are our menus going to look like when we place our online order for like the upcoming weeks? So it's just been a shift and how we were easily being able to go to the grocery store and buy whatever we wanted multiple times a week. If we ran out of something, it was just really easy to go back out and pick something back up. So I think so you're
1: not going to the grocery store. You're doing everything ordering.
0: We are. Yes. Um, At least in Boston, we're taking my boyfriend and I, we live at home together. We um are not, we're literally ordering online and taking walks around the house and, or the neighborhood, I should say. It's been fun, I guess. <laughs> um, But I miss that. I miss Having that level of control of I want to go out and buy X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. and we're we're not doing that right now.
1: Okay, so the the, the cooking and planning—it's the planning and executing that is challenging. It sounds like mm-hmm. but physically that you've been eating your own home cooking and being more active. How does that feel? That feels great. That feels like that's what I yeah. That's really what I'm focused on. How does that?
0: Yeah, I feel what's really, yeah. like I'm sleeping better, which has been amazing. Um, I'm getting like eight hours of sleep a night. I'm waking up feeling refreshed. I feel like my skin is looking better, my hair is growing like crazy. Um, I wish I could get a haircut. <laughs> Me <too>. But um, <laughs> but it is kind of nice. I feel like my nails are strong, I have energy, and you know, it's a new month. where we're in May now. So I was looking at my calendar. I'm like, okay, what's my 30-day goal going to be this month? And you know, trying to incorporate some weight training, which isn't something I've done previously. So, um, just kind of taking this time to to regroup.
1: Okay, so I'm just playing nutrition therapist for a second. Yes, yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, what you are experiencing is all positive. These are things you probably wanted before: great skin, good hair, right. good sleep, <laughs> energy, feeling good. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You figured out one. And two things, but one major thing that fits into our discussion, nutrition, quality nutrition, yes, impacts every single cell in your body. So when I talk about eating for breast health, eats you're eating for your best health, you, my friend, are living it. You are living it. Thank you. And before, (laughs) when you are like, let's just go to the drive-thru, let's just go and get breakfast, Mm -hmm. let's just go out to dinner, and you do that several times a week because it's social, it's easy, it's convenient, right? What takes the hit from that? Your overall health. Mm-hmm. Like the restaurant industry would hear this and go, you are an enemy. <laughs> but I'm just saying. Great. Right. And, and I can say this because, and it's just an interesting juxtaposition because I'm on the other side of that. I, we eat out. I mean, Chicago has some of the best restaurants on the planet. Oh, I love Chicago. We don't eat out very often. Right. Because I am a really great cook and I love to cook. And I like to know what I'm eating. Yes. I like to nourish my body with optimal quality nutrition. Is it because I'm a dietitian? No. It, I did this before, but now that I do know what it, the benefit is, because I live it. Like yes. I'm 75 years old and look at me. You are? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> That's my joke. <laughs> That's my joke. But see how well it helps me? Look, like right? 75. Right. No. I want to be 75 and be good. Look, look. look. Absolutely. Yes. Because your energy comes from what you put in. It's anything, right? It's what you feed your brain. It's what you feed your body. Yes. At the cellular level, if you're putting in high sugar, high fat, high sodium, junky food that's tastes good, mm-hmm. maybe over time it won't taste so good. When you go back to eating the way you did before, if you do after all this, you'll be like, oh my God, so deep, the salt is too salty. It's too sweet. It's too oily. Mm-hmm. Your taste buds adapt. Right. And so... When, and I don't eat out a lot. So if I eat out, it better be really, really amazingly good. Mm-hmm. Well, usually when I eat out the most is when I'm traveling and I can't have my own food, right? Sure. So um, it saves money. Oh, it yeah. saves your health. It, so I'm not saying never do that, but I love that you are a living, you're like a living laboratory right now, yeah, Laura. What you. <laughs> you're experiencing is that the benefit of taking better care of yourself because you're forced to, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, look at all these benefits. Right. And I find it fascinating, especially in the breast cancer community, when, when we're climbing and clawing for it. Just tell me what to do, how to take care of myself. When I share, this is it. You're like, that's it. That's so boring. That's right. so hard. <laughs> it's So I have to plan. I have to make food. I'm like, there is no magic bullet. I've there seen. is not. And it takes some effort. It takes some deliberate, intentional Decision-making about grocery shopping and bringing it, but you can have groceries delivered just like you're doing. You can do it even after COVID. People tend to want to do what's easiest. Exactly. And that's okay because we've been programmed and brainwashed by marketing people that this is what we should do. Let us make your food for you. You don't have to cook or clean up. It's easy. What else are you doing that you don't have time to make dinner? Right. You're on your phone. You're on a computer. It's not like you're, you know, curing cancer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're doing things that... (laughs) If, we, if you think about, and I'm being a little, you know, maybe not argumentative, but I'm kind of playing both sides of devil's advocate is, look, people tell me they want this optimal health. What are you willing to do for it? Mm-hmm. You can't buy it. Right. Got to put some effort in. And that's where people... Are There's like, work oh, involved. Yeah. I have to exercise. I have to lift weights. I have to, I have to work out. I have to eat better. You know, right. And that's okay. That's a choice. But you can't, you don't get both. Mm-hmm. I'm off my soapbox. I love it. Again, no, like, no, I, I love time. that.
0: <laughs> um, but does that make sense? It completely makes sense. And I would love if we could shift a little bit into like the psychology then of this nutrition piece. So what I am noticing, and I just got into like the psychology around like lifestyle. And I don't know if what rec- rec- recommendations you might have, but someone was telling me, Laura, write down and start journaling your emotions around why you are craving like a glass of wine tonight or why you're craving those like salty, junk foody type things. And really trying to understand is it because I'm hungry or because I'm stressed or what's the psychology around it. So I've been journaling about food, which sounds a little weird, but I'm doing it. I'm trying it. I'm giving it a try. And the other technique that I started to notice also during this COVID experience is to your point of I think, what did you say that I loved? Oh, overfed and undernourished. So the overfed and the portion sizes and control of, we're always taught, you know, clean your plates, don't waste food just from like growing up. And I don't know if it was like religious or just, you know, there's people out there starving. So you have to eat everything on your plate. And if you're giving yourself these large portions, you're overeating. And even during this period, I'm like, you know what, I'm actually not that hungry right now. Or let me push this away. Like I've had Enough, And I don't need to finish my plate. Um, maybe I'll save it for lunch tomorrow because we're, I don't want to cook again, <laughs> you know, and I'm noticing these different behaviors that I'm, I'm just kind of morphing through over these last couple of weeks that, you know, I, I would wake up, I would have breakfast and I would, you know, head to the office and go to work. And I'm like, well, I woke up. I would love some green tea, maybe some lemon water, and maybe an hour later I'll have breakfast because that's when my body actually has the hunger cravings versus it's breakfast time. I know I have to eat. Does that make sense? So just being a little bit more in tune with like hunger signs and my own body's reaction to to that optimal health idea. Let not We get to in such habits and habits are positive. They could be good things, but they can also be detrimental too if we always are in this habit of like breakfast, lunch, dinner, we finish our plates, we don't waste and, and whatnot. So the final piece of the psychology that I'm working through with diets is every week writing myself a letter. So on Sunday night, I'll write a letter that I read on Friday night to congratulate myself for what I've done during the week. And it's kind of this idea of putting like already saying to myself, Laura, you did great. You did three workouts this week. You hit your step goal. And you know, you tried a new recipe or whatever it was that I was set my intention on Sunday, write it down. I have a letter. I put it in my bathroom. So I see it every day (laughs) to remind myself and motivate me that like, I want to get to Friday. I want to open up that letter and I want to feel very proud of myself for what I did. And that's been really helpful. Also, I think in terms of the psychology around just lifestyle, food, diet, that sort. So I want to share some of that.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So can we talk about that Absolutely, yes. Okay, so I love, that's great. You So what you're doing is you're writing, you're setting an intention, which you could also call it a goal, but I like to call it intention because goals can feel really, there's a lot of pressure when setting a weekly goal. Yes. You've, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just you're saying it in a different way. Your brain registers it differently. So you set your intention and you are writing that letter from your future self. Mm-hmm. So you're you're working backwards. You're like, well, let's re-engineer this backwards exactly to see how my week can play out. Because some people they are internally driven. They are they're called. There's a great book by Gretchen Rubin, and it is called The Four Tendencies. And do you know Gretchen Rubin? She wrote about the Happiness Project. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: I'm Gretchen Rubin. Okay. So she wrote a book called The Four Tendencies. And I love this book because it really describes the way people approach their health behaviors or their habits, any habit, whatever it is. And so she gives four different names to these. If I had known we were going to talk about this, I would have pulled it out and refreshed. But I know Upholder and Rebel are two opposite ends. Rebel is someone who's like, I don't care if this is good for me. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want any day, any time, all the time. Forget everything you're saying. And that's okay. That's how some, you know, someone's programmed that way. So if you're saying to them, you maybe want to think about, you know, not smoking. They're like, I don't care. I'm smoking anyway. So right. so they need a different approach to help them with their behavior change, right? Versus someone like me, who is, I'm a 100,000% bona fide upholder which means I am very disciplined and hold myself to my standards. I You can say to me, come on, we're going for ice cream. And I'll be like, yeah, but I have to go for a run. you like, you can go for a run. And so I'll be like, no, no this is when I run, I'll run, I'll meet you there. And they could beg, they could like, I'll just like pull my hair out if you don't come. I'd be like, great, pull your hair out. I'm doing my run. I'll meet you there. So upholders are very Mm. self-motivated, self-disciplined. We love structure. You know, I don't have to write a note to my future self because I just know every day when I get up, what I do in my morning routine to set me up for the day. So when you think about how you're programmed in your wiring, Maybe you could be a little kinder to yourself when you say, Oh, I'm a people pleaser. So, of course, when people say, Have the cake, and I don't really want cake, I'll eat the cake. Right. Whereas someone like me, I'm like, That looks delicious, but I am full. And if you want to wrap it up for me to take home, I'll take it home. But I am really thank you. I'm full. And you could burn me at the stake, and I'd be like, I want it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, So you got to figure out. So you can be kinder and understand Mm. how you approach your behaviors of goal changes and intentions. Okay. Secondly, you were talking about using a food, journaling your food emotions around food. That is very common. The work that I did in my practice is with uh, weight management and eating disorders and disordered eating. Mm. They're very tightly connected. And so I work with local therapists and local treatment centers. When someone is discharged from a treatment center for an eating disorder, they have to have an outpatient team. And I was a dietitian on many, many teams. So the point around that is that's the psychology of food, all right? And so if you are eating outside of true physiological hunger, which you described, am I just eating something salty because, you know, or cleaning my plate because that's what I was taught to do? That is a disconnect from your true physiological hunger, which is just as normal as needing to go to the bathroom. So let's say you and I are off shopping. So just stick with me on the bathroom. Let's say we're shopping. And I say to you, all right, you know, we just had that big old cup of coffee. I have to run to the bathroom. You're like, okay, I'm good. I'll wait for you. So I go and I come out. 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, I have to go pee again because I just, clearly it was more coffee than you'd be like, okay, go, right? What if, I said, I have to go to the bathroom, but I'm not ready to go to the bathroom, so I'm not gonna go. I'm just gonna keep shopping. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, I really have to go, but I'm not gonna go, I'm gonna keep shopping. And you are saying, how do you even, what do you mean if you go to the bathroom? You just went 10 minutes ago, how could you possibly need to go? Hold on, that's a physiological response. You can no more ignore your body telling you, you have to use the bathroom. Just because it's not time, you can't ignore it, it won't go away. Same thing with hunger. Mm. If you just ate a full meal, but you find yourself in the pantry looking for cookies or ice cream in the freezer or whatever. And you're like, that is not true physiological hunger, Mm. right? You are responding to something that is more emotionally driven. It is more thought driven. It it could be a habit that every time you finish a meal, regardless of the size you need cookies Mm -hmm. because it's a habit when you were a kid and maybe it makes you feel better. Right. It makes you feel comforted. It makes you feel calm. It makes you so. That's disconnecting from the true physiological message. Your body is. Your brain is saying, "But Laura, you're full. And you're like, I know, but I still want the chocolate." Chip. <laughs> so that's a dis- that's a decision, yeah. okay? But you are you're not really listening to your physiological message. So to your point, it's a disconnect from our hunger cues. We get really good at ignoring. You know, you said I'm finding I'm not finishing my plate, pushing it away. I'm saving it; I can eat it tomorrow. All of which is true, but if we ignore that and say I'm going to finish the plate because it's in front of me, or you go to a restaurant and they bring this much pasta, and you're like, this is that's a platter for a family of four in the '70s, and now you're like, I'm going to eat all of it because it's in front of me. You're disconnected from what your body's telling you. So when your body says, you know, I'm full, do we stop? Not always. And that's okay. Sometimes you just need another bite or sometimes, you know, when I finish dinner, I usually like something sweet, you know, I'll have whatever I have for sweet, but that tells my brain, okay, the meal is done. But is it every night after dinner? Not always. Sometimes I don't want it. It's so it's really tuning in and listening. Am I full? And am I satisfied? Yes. yes. Those are two different things. You can get full eating a dump truck full of baby carrots. You'd be way, very full but you would still want the chocolate chip cookie. Because you're like, but that was not what I wanted. So it's right. really exactly. paying attention to the cues. And I think being at home and cooking and having more time in your schedule, like you said, you got up and you would have your tea and your lemon water. And you're like, I'm not really hungry yet. That's listening. That's tuning in. And then when you say an hour later, you're not craving. An hour later, your body's like, hello, Laura, it's time to feed me. I haven't eaten since last night. You're like, okay, now I'm hungry. Right. Exactly. It's really listening and connecting to that. That's really what will help you figure out as you're journaling about food. Like if you journal, I had chocolate chip cookies because I had such a stressful day and I just wanted the cookies. That's not about hunger. That's about emotional hunger, which also needs to be fed in some way. Sure. And so if you can feed it with a walk or texting a friend or going for a workout or Whatever, anything other than food, you're still that emotion will work its way through without using the food to soothe or distract or comfort or
0: right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think not that I'm endorsing like the ice cream example or anything either, but you know, I think <laughs> a lot of times too we use language around like, well, I deserve it, right? Like I had like a hard day at work, or you know, even like if I did my workouts five days this week, I get to Friday and I'm like, well, I deserve you know X, Y, and Z. It's reward eating. Yes, completely. You're rewarding
1: yourself <laughs> with food. Why? Yeah, completely. So, there are a million other things you could reward yourself with. Just the goal of doing it and be like, sweet, exactly. I'm going to buy 10 books from online bookstore. Right. How about
0: that? Oh. Well, this has been, I feel like we're just scratching the surface actually a little bit. Um, I feel like you've yeah. laid the groundwork of nutrition, diets, our eating habits and lifestyle. I would love to have you back on the podcast and at a future date where we can kind of take this discussion and dive in even further now that our listeners had a chance to kind of meet you and hear about your resources. Um, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so thank you. I would love to come back. There is, if I can just take a second to say, this is why there are no black and white quick answers in nutrition. If you're working with someone who really knows what they're doing, and I say that, With all love and respect for people who are like, I'm a nutritionist online, I'm an influencer online. Okay, but you really got to have the cred. (laughs) Right, absolutely. First of all, because it's a safety concern, right? And secondly, when you really understand how it all fits together, there's no black and white quick answer. Mm -hmm. And food is very emotional. Health behaviors are very emotional and very they're complicated. They're deep. They go deep, and. There's so much more we could talk about. I would love that. So thank you for yes. that. I
0: just, And we haven't even touched about exercise yet either. So we didn't even
1: get to that. <laughs> I know. So yeah, but we'll do it. We will certainly sounds wonderful. And particularly if you're... Listeners enjoy this and they want more. We'll definitely we can deliver you that. We can do wonderful, um, wonderful. But so for now, yes. Yeah, so people can find me on my website, which is dammadaboutbreastcancer.com dot com. D a m m a d. You maybe you put. A yeah, link. I'll link to it and when okay. we have so, it yeah, sent out, they can find it. So yep. that's the blog and my website where they can find me and read about my story. I'm on all the social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I have a damn mad about breast cancer Facebook page. I'm also on LinkedIn. And um, the exciting thing is, I'm just introducing a new membership called Higher Ground Breast Cancer Survival. And it is a membership for women who are really interested in quality nutrition and fitness information and education because they are very health centered, who've been through breast cancer, either they're on that, wherever they are on that continuum that we talked about. But it is a membership, private um supportive community and educational wow so that's coming May 20th and I'm excited
0: about oh it's that. coming so up okay so that will be forthcoming then we can find that on damn mad
1: about cancer that's not out on the website yet but if okay. people go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter information that comes out every week that's where that information will be awesome I'm gonna make sure I, I do really that excited I'm like super about that. so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm interested
0: i am going to make sure yeah. I follow
1: great we can talk about it yeah so thank you, really. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. This has been great. And see, I just am getting more that. We could talk
0: about it. Oh, this. no, I feel the same way too. And There's
1: so much to cover.
0: Yes. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I feel like I have like my list of notes here of things I want to oh look gosh. up and go back to. So thank you so much for taking the time to dive into diet and nutrition with us. And as it relates to not just breast cancer, but lifestyle as a whole, it's been really educational. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. I will follow up with you
0: and we'll get like another date on the books and keep me posted on your membership and everything. And we'll chat soon. I'll see you online for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to today's episode. We release episodes each week, typically on Mondays. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Until next time, keep on thriving.